I'm turning to John's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. John's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. We are analyzing the conversions in John, and have come to John chapter 8, the fourth message in the series. Jesus, the perfect judge. As we analyze this chapter today, a woman was caught in adultery and brought before Jesus by the religious Jews as he sat teaching in the temple. John record these words of Jesus in verses 10 and 11. Woman, where are those thine accusers? Have no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. These words are a declaration of justification by Jesus. Only he can do this. Only he can say this. Only he can declare a sinner righteous. Only Christ can forgive sins. In Mark chapter 2 verse 10 he said, But that you may know that the Son of Man have power on earth to forgive sins. No one else. No priest, no pope, no one else. There were three things that took place in the life of this woman who was caught in adultery. One, she was brought before Christ, the judge. He is the perfect judge who sees our hearts. Second, she was freed from condemnation. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. As she was brought, being brought, the Lord was working in her heart when she came. The third thing we read about this woman is that she was commanded by Jesus. She was given the word. Stop sinning. That's what every converted person hears. Stop it. Forget your path of life. When a person has become converted, they will no longer practice sin. If you are in the habit of sinning, and sinning with impunity, you should seek the Lord's salvation. It's a word to the wise. But unfortunately, brethren, today we begin our study on a critical note. 
And if some of you are teachers, I assume that you know already. But I have to say that many people may not be aware of the textual controversy surrounding John chapter 7, verse 53 through John 8, 1 through 11. And it's better to stay with these things. This context is not found in certain Bible translations, including Bruce's commentary I have in there. It's omitted. Many modern Bible translations and commentaries have omitted this portion of Scripture because men are of the opinion that Jesus was pandering to the sin of adultery. So they leave it out. Their Bibles have left it out. Whenever men begin trifling with the scriptures and picking and choosing what they like and what they do not like, we will no longer have the gospel but a moral code of conduct that will save no one. We will become liable for what Revelation 22, 19 says. And if any man shall take away from the words the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Sadly, most commentators, faithful ones, comment about this, including Dr. Boyce. But what men say doesn't really matter. When we analyze John chapter 8, 1 through 11 carefully, it fits perfectly with the message of the gospel. And it is what God wants us to know about conversion and about ourselves. And this passage shows us the perfect judge of all men, who's the only one who can forgive sins. David said, let me fall on the hands of God and not on the hands of men for great is his mercies. We can liken the events in John 8, 1 through 11 to a civil court case. I have a fall, I like to watch Barry Mason. But at some time, but most of the time, it's Barry Mason. Barry Mason is watching me. But this is likened to a court case where there is the accused, the prosecution, and the judge. John have crafted this narrative beautifully. In this case, the judge seated on the bench is also the advocate or the representative of the center. He's both offices he holds. The accused woman, the scribes and the Pharisees, are the prosecution who represents the law of God. They were representing the law as bad as they were. They were custodians of the law. Unto them were committed the oracles of God. Romans chapter 3 tells us this. Don't criticize them. The perfect judge Jesus acquitted the guilty woman based on his righteous 
merit. It's the only way anyone here can be forgiven. Therefore, John 8, 1 through 11, our study portion, is authentic. It presents to us the message of salvation. John chapter 8, 1 and 2 begins, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. First thing we see here under this head, a model of consistency. Point number one, a model of consistency. Early in the morning, he came to the temple again. These words show Jesus a model of consistency. The word again implies regularity, consistency. Believers should be like their Savior. Many Christians can't be consistent. You watch them carefully. If they're early today, they're late the next two weeks. If they're present this week, they're absent the next two. They can't be consistent. Something is wrong with our generation of Christians today. Something is seriously wrong. This guy, this man come here in a wheelchair every Sunday. Our Lord was consistent with time as well as attending his station. This is the word of God. Verse 2. And all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. This was the Lord's principal objective on earth. Coming. We see Paul doing this in the book of Acts all the time. To the temple teaching the word of God. We told him Mark, that action gospel, Mark chapter one, he said to his disciples, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. A model, our savior, a model of consistency. Their people are not consistent. If they come three Sundays, rest assured, the fourth they're out. Verse 2 And he sat down and taught the people who came to hear him. You know, in those days, teachers of the law sat down. They didn't stand like you and me today while they were teaching. Told that Saul of Tarsus sat at the feet of Gamaliel as he sat. Gamaliel. Mary sat at Jesus' feet and heard him. He was seated. This is true. But to sit down in biblical language means much more than taking a seat like you and I do. To sit down infers authority, rulership. Told in Hebrews 1 3. 
speaking about Christ, he being the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Authority, the work is finished. Amazing when Stephen saw him and he was martyred. He said, I saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Because Jesus is involved in the persecution of his people. He's involved in our suffering. And he stood when his martyr was taken out. We have a model consistency to follow. Christ taking a seat in the temple implies that he is the judge of the living and the dead. He's the head of the church. He's the authority and has perfect knowledge of all men and need not that any testify of man for he knows men. Let's strip this text carefully and see what it is saying to us. He is the final authority. People poke fun at the Lord Jesus today. Cartoons poke fun at the Lord. They don't know what they're doing. He is the authority that all men must give an account as the judge. What the Lord Jesus is about to do in this passage is to scatter the accusing enemy from his presence and forgive the sinner. Jesus will scatter all men. As Psalm 1 says, when he judges and they're not found in Christ, they'll be scattered from him. Our Lord is a model of consistency. I love the Lord Jesus because he's my model. Who's yours? Who's yours? We should be like him. In our Christian lives, we should mark him and his consistency. Again, he come to the temple early in the morning, not midway, market. Be like him. Came to preach the gospel. Isaiah said, he shall not fail nor be discouraged till you have set judgment in the earth and all the isles shall wait for him. I must admit, there are many wonders when I'm discouraged. Many Sunday nights discouraged. He is never discouraged. His will is being worked out. Why should he be discouraged? It is you and I that get discouraged. We come to our next heading. Contempt of Christ's enemies. Contempt, verses 3 through 6. 
verse 3 and 4 says, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman, taken in adultery, when they had set her in the midst. They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. The scribes and Pharisees were strict observers of the law. But they were hypocrites. They cleaned the outside of the cup, but the inside was filled with all kinds of uncleanness and hypocrisies. We got to be careful. They were enemies of Jesus and the gospel. They showed contempt to his words. They were relentless, seeking the Savior's death. They were antagonized by his words. Are you like this? Antagonized by the preacher whenever he stands? This contempt for their Messiah became heightened after Nicodemus defended Jesus in John 7. Remember the text says in John 7, 45 through 49 says, Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, Never a man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are you also deceived? Have any of our rulers or the Pharisees believe on him? But these people do not know the law. You see how the Pharisees were? They were jealous that Jesus was attracting some of their own people. They were in contempt of Christ. Verse 5 and 6, they go on in John chapter 8. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. Now, now these ones did not come to hear the teacher as he sat and taught. They came to tempt him, to trap him. They were partial and convenient in applying the law. What they said was not all Moses, that Moses said in Leviticus 20, verse 10. Moses in the law said unequivocally, and the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Leviticus, Leviticus 20, verse 10. The law required that both man and woman be put to death. The religious scribes in their contempt for Jesus only brought the woman to the judge. You see, they're partial. And whenever you begin, you and me begin passing judgment on people, we will be you see a lot of this going on in the political realm. We would be partial. We would have an agenda. The intent of these religious ones 
were to trap Jesus. But by the way, while they were accusing the woman of breaking the law, they themselves were breaking the law in Deuteronomy 6, 16. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempt him in Massa. And at times, we do a good job of tempting the Lord and demanding the things that he forbid us to have. We tempt him. We dare him. Can the Lord provide flesh in the wilderness? Yeah, he did. And all that ate the flesh dropped dead. The scribes and the Pharisees were guilty of our Lord's words in the Sermon on the Mount. Judge not that you be not judged. For what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. At times as ministers of the gospel, we are called to make judgments on people in the church. We might have to practice excommunication. God has given us that right to do that, to make judgments. Hopefully those judgments are according to the word of God and not according to our personal preference. We can be like the Pharisees. Whenever we judge another person by the standard of God's law, all we are doing is condemning ourselves because we fail miserably. All the time. Romans 2, 1 and 2 says, For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judge does the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And this is how Jesus is judging this woman. Verse 6, further state, but Jesus stooped down. And with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Listen to them. He heard. Not a word came from Jesus. Not a word came from the woman. She was silent. Because every mouth shall be stopped. And the world stand guilty before God. Some of us just have too much chat in this church. Too much talk. When we are guilty. Jesus writing on the ground with his finger, of course, reminds us that he is the lawgiver. He gave the law. Points us back to Exodus 31, 18, and he gave Moses when he had made an end of communing with him on Mount Sinai. We did this a couple weeks ago. Two tables of the testimony, tables of stone written with the finger of God. Here he is again, writing the law on the ground. 
to remind the Jews, I'm the one that gave the law. Not you. I'm the one that can make amendments to my own law. I'm the one that can forgive the sinner by grace. It's not that the law is thrown out. Jesus kept all the requirements of the law for this adulterer. Now you need to ponder these things. Because we think that we are fine citizens, don't we? Paul said Jesus came for sinners of whom I am chief. He's eternal God. There's one lawgiver who's able to save and to destroy. Who are you that judge another? The Lord repeated his actions in verse 7 and 8. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote upon the ground. Jesus wasn't condoning her saying, let's get this right straight. Jesus covered her saying. Right there on the spot. He saved her. They could not answer the question, he that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. Now Christ was declaring his divinity. He's the only one without sin. He's the only one that could cast a stone at her. He is the just and the justifier of those who believe on him. We must preach Christ. Stop entertaining people. We do not know exactly what Jesus wrote on the ground. Men have speculated, but whatever he wrote was sufficient to address the consciences of these men. Could it be he began writing out all the sins of the scribes and the Pharisees? And if Jesus was to begin writing out all of my sins, there would be no place to put them. Whatever he said was sufficient to scatter them. The judge. The accusers. Heard. They were convicted of their own sin. They were scattered. No man can stand before the judge. When he opens the books on the last day, Revelation 20 tells us. But on that day, the judge will open the book and many will be scattered in his presence. Verse 9 says, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. You see, the older you are, the more sins you have. 
doesn't get easier. The older we are, the bigger the sins. And they keep growing and growing and growing because we sin every day. And the oldest one may know first to the youngest. When the enemies of Jesus heard the words of the, the Lord, they were all driven out. They were all scattered. And this is a very ominous sign. It is an indication of God's judgment. It is in accordance to that messianic psalm that David spoke in Psalm 68 verses 1 and 2. I'll read it to you. Where the psalmist says, let God arise. Don't forget, Christ got up, he rose. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish the presence of God. This is what is being played out right here. What the Lord did is also in accordance to Psalm 1. The ungodly are not so, but like chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Well, this woman here is declared righteous. And the, the rest is scattered. And the judge stood with her, the advocate. The Lord is not impulsive in his actions like me and you get mad and do something. He's not exasperated by the enemy. He's responding in fulfillment to his word. As he scatters the enemy. You know, today people recoil if they're told that they are ungodly or wicked. Who dare call you call me ungodly and wicked? You are. The truth of the matter is, we are. All converted or unsaved people are characterized in the Bible as ungodly. Of wicked. These are the ones that will be scattered, brethren. So we saw Jesus, a model of consistency. We saw the contempt of his enemies, the scribes and the Pharisees. They had the word of God. They had the law. They are like us. They had the Bible. They were reading it, preaching it, but they hated Jesus. We can be like them. We see finally, the compassionate judge. This is 10 11. Compassionate judge. What a far cry. Not a corrupt judge. Today you pass a few bucks, not a few bucks, a few million bucks. I don't have that. 
and the judge forego the law. If you have enough money, you won't be arrested. Verse 10 says, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but a woman, he said to her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Have no man condemn you? She said, no man, Lord. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. There is a context. This text in verse 10 presents two biblical principles. Jesus addressed the guilty woman as woman. She's part of our fallen race in need of redemption. Woman. Jesus called his mother woman. What thou hast to do. He was reminding Mary, you need a savior. When he was on the cross, he said, woman, look to your son. She's woman. Part of this fallen human race. Woman, God reminds women of this every month. You're part of a fallen race. You're going to have a baby. It's not easy. It's pain. It reminds you, not of Miguel, but that you are a fallen creature. God pronounced a curse. Woman. Some of us don't want to be recognized woman or man. You know who I am? Yeah, I know who you are. Second, the Lord asks, where are those thine accusers? They were gone. In the law, it was required to have two or three witnesses to condemn a guilty person, an individual the scribes and the Pharisees being convicted of their own sins were scattered, gone. The judge must honor his own law. There are no witnesses. The condemner. He scattered them. The judge said to the woman, Have no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Jesus Christ. The Son of God is not only the judge, he is the advocate. If any man said we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who's a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Now we have to be careful in interpreting this verse, the sins of the whole world. The whole world doesn't have an advocate. It is only the elect out of the world that has an advocate. And this is why this adulterous woman was not condemned. The enemies of Jesus had no advocate. The woman called the Savior, Lord. She said, no man, Lord. She's no longer condemned. By the law, she has a savior. Not only a savior, you know, people say Jesus is my savior, but he's not my Lord. Rubbish. The two don't go together. If he's your savior, he must be your Lord. 
all this false theology we have been taught. We're trying to reform not only our church, but our doctrine. It's God that justifies. Who will see that condemned? It is Christ that died. Yeah, that is risen again. And even at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. There he is. You said, but Christ ain't gone to the cross yet. But you have been taught already that the principle of the cross stretches all the way back to eternity. God ain't got two salvation plans. You only got one. For anyone to be saved, Christ Jesus must absorb their sin. What a savior. What a savior. Can we not help brother but serve him? But love him? Jokers, man. He said, go and sin no more. Now these words do not mean that this woman would never sin again. The Bible doesn't teach sinless perfection in the life of a converted person. Don't get me wrong. Christians have been given a new soul, but they still have a body. The late James Boyce in his volume on John said, Jesus told the woman, and I'm quoting, Stop sinning. This always follows upon divine forgiveness, for we cannot be saved by God and then continue to do as we please. Dr. Boyce is correct. We have problems in our church today because people do not understand conversion. We have to be, we will never have a perfect Lord's table. But at least let's work on our purity. Let's work on our faithfulness. Let's work on our commitment. Bring joy to my heart, no? You see the cry of a man. No congregation would be totally pure. But at least we should strive to be pure. We should strive, and some people don't even want to strive to be pure. Come on. The Apostle Paul asks rhetorically, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? The pleasures of this world takes precedence over worship. The job, the money snatches away our interest from the church. You think they pass the blind? You can't pull the wool over my eye. Grace never gives one a license 
to practice and to live as they please. Grace never gave a person a free path to heaven without any rocky seas. Grace liberates us from slavery to sin to serve God. That's grace. We don't read anything else about this woman. God give us enough. He that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. So John 8 verses 1 through 11 is a historical fact. And it belongs to the Bible. Who are these men anyway, brother? I take it out. It is just because they cannot carefully explain it. And you don't have to be ashamed as a lay person if God show you the truth. Don't be intimidated by these PhDs. Studies assure yourself approve. Unto God. I challenge you. Check me. Come. Prove me wrong. Come. These words presents many, many gospel truths to the church today. The woman caught in adultery represents all men. All of us. <clears throat> woman accused of adultery. The accuser of the woman. Is the law. Even though the representatives are bastards. The law is nothing wrong with it. The law is pure. The law is holy. The law is just. You can't do anything against the law. The judge pronounced her forgiven. Brethren, there are some practical lessons that I want to leave with you in this text. We saw that our Lord Jesus was a model of consistency but we also see in the context a great discipline for us to cultivate. A great discipline for the Christian. If you say you are a Christian, I'm holding you to that. And I speak to you because of what you say you are. When I ask you, where were you for two weeks? I am assuming that you are a Christian. And some of you can't even answer There is a discipline, a great discipline to cultivate. And all, verse 2, and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them. The Lord's people do not only come to the Lord for salvation. They come to him to be taught. To be disciples. Are you a disciple of Christ? He said, well, I listened to the radio. He didn't say that. He came to the temple. They came there where he was. 
this nonsense of zoom this and zoom that. That's okay. But um, we them. Eddie Cruz called me this week and says, Pastor, I was looking for the for you on Tuesday night on on on, on the on Zoom on whatever whatever off news show there. I don't know what happened. I said, well, we, sorry, we don't do it on Tuesdays. Well, you should start doing it. There's a need for Lagos, Nigeria. But that's all well and good for Eddie. But some of us, no, you see me? No, you don't. You need to be serious. The Lord's people will not only come to him for salvation, they'll keep coming. This is what Christian discipleship is. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all thought of God. Every man, therefore, that have heard past tense, and have learned of the Father, come of present tense, present indicative, keep coming unto me. Brother, you just don't come to the well once. You keep coming. This one is taught so they would behave. People behave what they're taught. If you believe that you come from a monkey, you will behave like a monkey. Like the scientists teach us. No wonder this world is like this. No wonder a man don't know a man from a woman. We were the animals, according to Mugabe, know a man from a woman. Mugabe's right. But human beings don't. And the government just helping them along the way. You think I can support that? A Christian can only grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ if they cultivate the discipline of being taught the scriptures. And I believe that God has provided a means for us to be taught. Maturity in faith is not instant. I hate instant potatoes. I would be Anderson came to Zimbabwe one time with me and brought instant eggs, powdered eggs. I said, chuck that, man. I don't want no powdered eggs. I like to crack the shell. America has become instant everything. And Christians are like this. They want instant spirituality. Not the psalmist says, Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all day. Cultivate the discipline of being taught the scriptures. We see, secondly, in this passage, the danger of self righteousness. Religion without salvation is an attempt to be righteous. There is a great danger in this. Religion, coming to church at the stated meetings regular on time, 
the spirit of the Pharisees and scribes are still alive in the church today. They did not come to this gathering where Jesus was to hear anything. They left, they were scattered. And some of us come here to meet our friends. Be careful that you too don't be scattered on the day of judgment. These are ominous applications here. The spirit of the scribes and Pharisees is very prevalent in the church. They were not seeking forgiveness. They came to trap the teacher. They did not love the Lord, neither did they love their neighbor as themselves. They should have shown mercy to this struggling woman. Religion without salvation is dangerous because it has no compassion sinners. Never empathize with sinners. That's religion. That's the scribes. They're alive and they're well in the church today. But take note. Whenever one seeks to be faithful to the scriptures, they stand ready to critique them the slightest mistake they make, they hear. They criticize the one who is teaching. They, they come for that purpose. Let me see what he said wrong today. Well, I said a lot of things wrong, but I also said a lot of things right. You should listen to those things. You should stop that. And some of you are good at that. Pastor, you, you, myself, you call the word wrong. You call Jethro Joshua. Yeah, I know. I apologize. In the heat of a message. But I say this because Pharisees don't look are very much alive in here. In scribes. No. Dot their I's, cross their T's. Come on. The danger of self-righteousness. But there's one last lesson, practical lesson, that I want to close with, and it would be remiss on my part if I didn't emphasize this last lesson. The greatness of God's grace. That's the message. The greatness. Can you imagine this? This is a lesson for me. This is a comfort to me. The, the, the terrible sins that I've committed. Terrible past that I have. It's, it's amazing how the Lord can forgive that. No sin I don't want to hear is too great for God to forgive. No sin. The Bible says He's able to save to the uttermost them that come unto God. But you must come. Through him. Some of you want to come through the church. Through him. The songwriter says he's greater than all our sin. No sin. As I quoted Paul what he said. No past life. 
is beyond the cleansing of Christ. It's just that people love their present unredeemed state and they will not come to him. They love their present sin. They feel that the Lord will deprive them of something and they would not come to him. They played a part, but they wouldn't come without reservation. Throw themselves on the mercy of God. Like this woman, left by herself before the judge. Nothing she could do. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross, I cling. That's how we come. Oh yes. No one can blame the perfect judge. For Jesus to forgive this woman who was caught in adultery, he had to endure the penalty she deserved. And he did it. He had to become sin for her as he did for us. It's not that easy. It is no prayer and you're in. There's no room for boasting. As Paul rightly said, who make of thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why are you glorying? As if you didn't receive it. So this message, brethren, has come to an end. John 8, 1 through 11 should not be tampered with. If you pick up a commentary on John and you see this text, the first 11 verses, plus the introduction to the text in John 7, omitted, throw that book far away from you. There are a lot of them out there. Stick with the Bible. A good one, not the, maybe the NIV or what. Let's stick with the Bible, brethren. Don't get too fancy for these modern translations. Get the original word of God. I see somebody in here with, with, with some Bible. I said, but where do you get this from? Oh, this, I see this body come here preaching out of it. Well, let me tell you. Don't copy anybody that come on this pulpit. Copy the word of God. And this is a warning. See some people going with their tablet, bring your Bible. Leave the tablet for again. This is the message. God scattered his enemies. Scatter the enemies and the, and the proud and the imagination of their hearts, but the hungry he draws to himself. Let's pray. You sought to be faithful to your word. As always, anything that was said amiss, we ask that you, O oh Lord, dismiss it, Lord. Anything that is worthy of edification, we pray you will use it to glorify your Son. In whose name we pray, amen.